This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. From your TV, folks, why don't you enjoy AMI-audio? SaskTel customers look for us on channel 555 and Shaw Cable channel 825. Visit ami.ca slash audio for a list of channel locations in your area. I'm Kelly McDonald at the Home Studio in London, Ontario. Danielle McLaughlin over there at our Home Studio in Toronto. Kelly, it's time for us to check in with Lucia Belafonte for our parenting talk. Are you ready to learn, laugh, and maybe even cry a little? I'm Lucia Belafonte. Thanks for joining me on Kelly and Company, where both kids and parents can expect to grow in confidence and courage. Hello, Lucia. How are you? Hi, Danielle. I'm great. How are you? Oh, very well. I'm, I, I think this is the first time we've had a chance to speak together on Kelly and Company, and I'm very excited about that. It's, it's lovely you. to hear your voice in person. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to speak with you as well. Now, today we're going to be talking about IEPs. Um, where would you like to begin speaking about this? Because it's a, a serious and a complicated issue and a very important one. It is. So today we're just going to tackle a tiny little bit of it. And really from the perspective about talking to your child about what an IEP is and also how it can be useful for them when they're at school. And I think that part of that is understanding that when we speak to our children about things like their IEP, it's empowering because it sends the message that it's okay for them to need an accommodation. And so um, we're going to talk about an IEP, which is the Individual Education Plan. And it's really a special education plan that describes the programs or additional support that your child would receive if they need extra supports at school. Now, this timing is perfect because IEPs are to be completed 30 days after the start of the school year or after a child has been identified. And so it's October 25th and IEPs are in and here we go. We can talk about them. When you say identified, I think sometimes people need to understand too that, yeah, a student might be going in, might be, you know, a student Mm -hmm. that's going to a new school or a situation that could happen. And, you know, a doctor has said, listen, you know, this is where you're at. This is why, why you're having some troubles with this. Is that what we mean when we say identify? Ah, uh, yes. So it could be identified is and there was um, an IPRC meeting and, you know, the parents met with the school um, support team that would be administration and parents, um, sorry, the classroom teachers and um It could be that there was an identification, like you said, Kelly, the doctor said something's up. But, you know, it's really important because it could also be that either the classroom teacher, the student, or the parent has noticed that there's a difficulty, perhaps. Mm -hmm. And so there's not even yet an identification. But let's say you notice that your child's having a hard time um, reading from the back of the classroom, 
Well, you don't necessarily need to have a, um, an identification in order to have that IEP set up and state in the IEP that the child is to have preferential seating, meaning that, that they should be moving up closer to where whatever the written material is that they need to access. Okay. So, Lucia, and that's an important thing. Sorry. Oh, for sure. For sure it is. Yeah. So why else are IEPs so important? Well, you know, they're really important because, like I said at the very beginning, you know, an IEP is going to have those accommodations for the students. As well, it also states any compensatory skills that your child might be learning at school. And the, um, yeah, so the compensatory skills. You, you know, think of it, if we're talking about a child who is blind or partially sighted, right. that could be the expanded core curriculum, for example. And um, that's usually something that the itinerant vision teacher or the orientation and mobility specialist would assist with. And an example of that is think of a child who would need to be learning Braille. That's considered a compensatory skill or a child learning their new assistive technology. And, you know, I know I often talk about a child who's blind or visually impaired, but an IEP would go for any child who needs an accommodation. And if we think of a child who has um, a hearing loss, for example, they might have on their IEP the accommodation that the teacher needs to make certain the child is paying attention before the teacher speaks, right? So that that is an accommodation. And perhaps their compensatory skill would be learning how to maintain or troubleshoot their hearing technology. Sometimes it's actually the teacher who needs to learn how to use the technology, isn't it? The, the, <laughs> the classroom teacher Often. who, yeah, for, you know, how do you use this microphone if you're, you know, working with a child with, with hearing loss? So, That's yeah, these, right. are, these are, yeah, really Well, and, you know, you bring up, you bring up a good point, Danielle. So on, on the end of, of the teacher, like there is support for the, for the teachers to learn how to use the technology that they need to best assist their students. And at the very beginning, when I said it's empowering for the child to know and understand their IEP, it's simply, you know, that's one of the reasons. Because if the child feels really comfortable and confident and knows that there's absolutely nothing wrong with needing an accommodation, they understand that they have this legal document that states, you know, these are the things that are going to help you learn better and, you know, and the child terms easier at school, right? Because the child will understand that um, even if they're in grade one, they know that if they're sitting too far away and they can't see and they move up close and it's easier to see, they know that that's helpful. And so understanding what an IEP is for a child and a parent, I think is, is really powerful because if that child is at school and they know that this piece of paper exists and they can even have, you know, um, the accommodations to their IEP cut out and in one of their notebooks or their journal, or sometimes they call them the day planners or even in their backpack, the child can refer to it if ever anything comes up. I think just how wonderful is that? You're, you know, they're now empowered to better help themselves at school. 
Yeah, and and this doesn't just happen once while the child's in school, does it? I mean, the the IEP isn't something where they've they write it in stone, put it in a file, and that's the end of the story, right? No, absolutely. It usually gets updated with every uh, report card um, reporting period. But because they call it a working document or a living document, an IEP can be updated at any point in time. So let's say, for example, something changed um, with your child and a new accommodation needed to be added. Well, absolutely, you you can add that. Or let's say there's a new need that you as a parent feel or even the child, right, feels that they need something. It could be that perhaps, you know, your child is in high school and they're thinking about careers and they're kind of stuck. Well, there's nothing wrong. Let's say October has come and gone and in the IEP, it didn't state that there was going to be um, career research or learning. There's nothing, nothing says that you as a parent or the child can't go back now to the classroom teacher and say, you know what, can we please add this piece to my IEP? I think it's really important for this year. And honestly, I think the schools are are not only accepting, but they really welcome that. that Excellent. You know, yeah. It's a collaborative effort. Right. And how, how do you get children involved in this? Uh, you know, do they, do they learn to advocate for themselves uh, you know how do they under, learn to understand their IEP and how it, how it works for them oh that's a great question so i really think you know it's it's part of um at home as well as at school when a child is 16 years of age they're actually legally invited to sit in on their IPRCs and meetings that would happen at school Before then, there is a section where it actually asks if the parent was, um, excuse me, if the parent was um, asked to participate in the involvement of the uh, IEP. And then I would say, as a parent, if you have a young child, you can actually even, I would even start from kindergarten. I mean, you know, we all know what our child is capable of understanding. We're not going to talk in great length or detail But we do want them to understand that there's this document called an IEP and you can give it the full name, individual education plan. You'd explain what it was and how it's to help them. Definitely go over those accommodations, right? And Mm -hmm. then for an older child, you definitely want to collaborate together as parent and child. Talk about what the child feels they're going to need, what they think is most helpful. And then you can present that to the teacher or the itinerant vision teacher, the head of the special education um, team. And so I think in that way, then you're joining forces and you can introduce and talk about it that way. And that works going forward. Uh, you know, a lot of people go speak to a guidance counselor in high school to say, this is kind of what mm-hmm. I'm planning to do, what what I'd like in my college or university or career choice to be, where I would like to go at this point. And I think a lot of time, and I remember having discussions like that or trying to or yeah. knowing, gee, I really want to do this when I leave school. How do I do it? Yeah. We, we had these almost like, you know, the conversation handshake it. Okay, Kelly, let's go forward. But 
nothing in a living document that moved along with me and worked with my goals or the courses I might need or the the accommodations because this is what I'm striving to. And and I love that when we talk about the parents having a clue, having that involvement instead of it just being on the teacher and, and the child saying, well, I want to do this, I want to do that. Um, yes. having those real conversations unfolding um, as, as go along and it gets that conversation going and it doesn't make you feel that this plan is just because I'm a disabled student, but it enhances uh, right? my schoolwork and yes. takes it into account from my position. Absolutely. I love that. And, and I think, and, and for me, that's why I say it's something that as a parent, you should know and understand and there are ample of opportunities to either, you know, email the school, call the school, write into the school and say, listen, I don't understand this document. I need some help. You will definitely get help to understand it. I know from the point of view of a child who has um, an itinerant vision teacher, whether it could be um, a hearing itinerant or a vision itinerant, I, for myself, I worked very closely with parents. And that's definitely something that we collaborated with. And then also the student. So you can help parents as an educator. You would help parents to understand the document. As a parent, you want to be speaking with your child because it is not something that is only for a child who has a disability. It's for any child who needs an accommodation in order to better learn or access the curriculum. And that's really important, you know, and I know, Kelly, we've talked about this so many times with mm-hmm. Ramia about how we just all learn differently. And there's absolutely, you know, no shame to that. And we should all accept it. And this is just part of it, understanding that this is something that is helpful for now and moving forward into the future. Well, and as our Monday contributor would say, knowing your rights. Exactly. (laughs) That's just what I was going to say. I mean, it's so important for the whole family, the students and their families to know that they have rights, that they can challenge uh, an assessment, that they can talk about what they need and what they don't need as well. You know, the the child is the expert on their own personal needs. So I I think that, that, you know, making sure families know that the child needs to be included from kindergarten on up. So Thank you so much uh, for, you know, bringing all of this forth, Lucia. I, I think that, uh, I, I hope that at least one listener has has found out something that they didn't know before. Oh, I love that. I hope so too, Danielle. Thank you so much. We'll uh, catch up with Lucia Belafonte on the fourth Tuesday of the month. Always great conversation here on the program, but of course, in that segment We'll step aside for just a couple of moments, and when we return, it's book time, ladies and gentlemen. On our book club today, we're going to review After Steve by Trip Nickel with the recommender of the book, Stephen Scott, and Ramya Muthan will also jump in here. We'll get that conversation started after this break. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.